This morning I invite you, if you would, to turn with me uh, for the last time, at least for a while, to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, the uh, passage for this morning is found in your bulletin, in the insert as usual, Bibles on the back cart if you need them. Some of you are looking at your watches, it's 11 o'clock. I know, I, in light of uh, what has transpired, I knew I was going to be extended, announcements extended, talking about the sabbatical. So my intent is to be briefer uh, this morning than usual. We'll see if that comes to pass, but that is my intent. Uh, I'm aware of the clock, um, and I want to be sensitive uh, to those laboring even now with our little ones uh, in the nursery. If you're visiting this morning for the last month or so, we've been studying Uh, these two chapters of the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, in order that we might hear Jesus' words of encouragement and admonition to not just these specific ancient churches in Asia Minor, but to this specific church in Edmonds, Washington, Ascension Presbyterian Church. And today marks the last stop on this uh, ancient tour of churches as we have... um, or close to completing the geographic loop. Remember, we went north and then headed southeast, and we're almost uh, completed. We have almost completed that loop that began in Ephesus. And so today we move 30 miles southeast again, uh, southeast of Sardis, where we were last week, to a fertile valley uh, located along a significant trade route that linked east to west. And it's the youngest of the seven cities uh, that are mentioned in Revelation. It's the city of Philadelphia. The name is significant not just because we think of Philly and cheesesteaks, which I do because I grew up close to there, but no, Philadelphia is significant because of its name. It was founded by Attalus II, whose surname was Philadelphus. And the city got its name, which means lover of one's brother, or the city of brotherly love, from Attalus' own loyalty and love for his brother, a love that in history the Romans were trying to, um, to mess up, to dilute. And that's where Philadelphia got its name. But Philadelphia was a city of brotherly love, at least in name, but it was also a city that was uh, in some ways on edge. It was located uh, along a significant uh, valley, a significant plate that created earthquakes. And so when Jesus was a teenager in about 17 AD, Philadelphia was devastated by an earthquake. And in order to rebuild, they required heavily on the Roman Empire and on the imperial help from the empire. And in response to that, they briefly changed their name to Neo Caesarea, meaning Caesar's new city. They would go back to the name of Philadelphia, but the idea that their name was changed and that their name mattered is significant because as we're about to read, as we're about to look at, Jesus has a better name for this city. Jesus has a better name for those who cling to him in this city. And so let's listen and follow along. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand this morning for the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 3 verses 7 through 13. 
7 through 13. Listen as I read. This is God's word. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give him glory. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 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 Go ahead and be seated. As we dive into the city of Philadelphia, you might notice that similar to Smyrna, the city of Philadelphia receives no open rebuke from the Lord. Instead, Jesus focuses His words to this ancient church on reminding them and encouraging them of the promises that are theirs in and through the gospel. And real briefly this morning as we work through this passage, that's what I want to do for us, is remind and encourage us of the promises that are ours in the gospel. Yes, I want you to hear the specific message to them. Like like all of these churches, the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit who's inspired these words, they're words that are specific to these people. They're words that are in tune with things that these people are familiar with or things that are part of these people's culture. So I want you to hear that message to them, but I also want you, and I pray that the Spirit will impress these things on our hearts. So for a few moments, three gospel promises for us as a church, for you as individuals and families, and each gospel promise has attached to it This beautiful, rewarded reversal is what I'm calling it. 
So three points, each with a rewarded reversal. And the first one is this. To those who are excluded, Jesus says the door is open. To those who feel excluded or are excluded, Jesus says the door is open. Many of you know, most of you know, that a couple weeks ago we had our Presbytery meeting. Happens three times a year, our gathering of the regional church. One of the great blessings of that Presbytery meeting, and those who were there with me can attend to this, was a a young man by the name of Shiv Muthukumar. I probably butchered his name. Shiv Muthumukar. Muthumukar. I, did it, I really butchered it there. He was a young man who stood before the presbytery. He's from Covenant Presbyterian Church in Issaquah, one of our sister churches close by. And Shiv is a young man who is a brilliant young man, trained to be an engineer, successful as an engineer. But he grew up in India, and he grew up in a Hindu family, and he came to the U.S. and found himself gripped by the gospel of Jesus. And eight years ago, came to Christ. And then recently, feels the Lord calling him into gospel ministry. And so he stood before us to give his testimony, but also to be examined an examination that he did well at. But one of the questions that was asked of him was, how did your family back in India, as mom and dad and extended family live, how did they respond to your conversion to Christianity? He said very succinctly, not very well. And his pastor said, tell him about your trip. And he had just gotten back from a two-week trip. He and his wife visiting his family in India. And his own father, for two weeks, wouldn't even look at his son. Can you imagine that kind of cost? Maybe you can. I pray not. That kind of cost of being a disciple. Excluded from his own father, from his own family. The church in Philadelphia would have understood. The believers there were struggling. Like most cities in the region at this time, we've studied a lot of these cities, most of these cities. Theirs was one that was steeped in Roman religion. Inscriptions from that time tell us about the places of worship to Zeus and to Hestia, the goddess of hearth and home. We know that the Roman imperial cult was vibrant and present in Philadelphia. They owed a lot to the empire. They made sure they were going to give their praise and worship and do As we've noted in Smyrna weeks ago, the Jews, part of the Roman Empire, had received special permission by the Roman authorities to hold much of their religious tradition. And and yet by this time, 
Jews who had recognized Jesus as the Messiah, there was a rift that was increasingly being created between those who said Jesus is our Messiah and those Jews who said Jesus is not our Messiah. So by Acts 14, or excuse me, Acts 24, we read that the Christians are called the sect of the Nazarenes by the Jews. So we've heard this kind of thing before. Those whom they had worshipped with, these Jews, those whom they had listened to the Old Testament scriptures alongside of, they still held to those scriptures. They still loved the scriptures. And they loved how they pointed to Christ. Those people in the synagogue were now declaring, you are not God's people. Generations of tradition, of relationship, of ritual, and now the door to the synagogue was literally slammed shut in their faces. You are not one of us. The Scriptures are not yours. You are not Yahweh's. We want no part of you. In fact, history has uncovered a Jewish benediction book, a prayer book that was written in the latter half of the first century, and it was something that would have been recited by Jews. And it included this line, for apostates let there be no hope, and let the Christians... The Nazarenes, as they were called, and the heretics perish in a moment. Let them be blotted out of the book of life. I'm not sure that we could imagine the pain of this type of rejection. A rejection that, as we've seen in other churches, trickled into every area of their life. This wasn't just a religious rejection. This wasn't just social or nostalgic. This was financial. This had to do with their freedom. This had to do with their very lives as the Christians in Philadelphia and in the ancient world were continually more and more ostracized by the Jews who said, you're not part of us, and by the Romans who said, you're not part of us either. And so in society, they were on the outside looking in. And Jesus speaks into their lives and says, I won't have it. While some in the church have proclaimed themselves the true people of God, Jesus gives the Jews who rejected him another name. We've seen it already. Jesus doesn't mince words. The synagogue of Satan Now, in our modern context, when we hear that, when we hear Jesus calling a synagogue a place of Satan, our politically correct radars go off. We think, man, Jesus is being anti-Semitic. We say, wait a second, Jesus is a Jew himself. Jesus is just recognizing the fact that there's no neutrality. Ethnically a Jew... If you reject me, you are my enemy, and you're a tool of my enemy. And then he goes a step further. He declares himself, he who declares himself in John 10 as the door who must be entered for eternal life, says to his church, 
this door is closed, but my door is open. It will always be open. I won't allow anyone to shut it. Let your eyes look a little ahead to Revelation 4, verse 1. After this I looked, says John, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now, how is the door open? What door is he talking about? The door is open because Jesus has the key. Jesus has the key. Verse 7, I have the key of David who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. This is a direct allusion Knowing the Jews that are in this congregation, knowing the Jews that are persecuting those Christian Jews, he brings up Isaiah 22, 22, and the words spoken to Eliakim, the steward of the king, who was given administrative authority through these words, and I will place on his shoulder, the Lord says, the key to the house of David, he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm in that line. Eliakim was just a type. He pointed to me. I am the holder of the keys. I am the rightful heir. So take heart, church. Take heart, followers of me. I am true. I am the way. Do you see how Jesus' voice, Jesus' words were exactly what that church needed to hear? All they were hearing was, you're not part of us. You are excluded. You are not true people of God. Jesus says, the door is open for you. It's open, and it will always be open. And then, the great reversal. Because what does he give the church? What does he promise to the church? To those who endure by grace... To those who conquer, not only will they be included, not only will they be able to walk in the door, but they will be permanent fixtures in the house of God, pillars in the temple of God. He's tapping into this imagery, saying, you feel excluded, you can't go into the synagogue anymore. The door's open, you will be permanent fixtures in my house. Revelation 21, 22, and 23, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the Lord, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. To those who feel excluded, Jesus says, the door is open. You will be pillars. Words of grace and comfort and hope. That's the first thing. Secondly, To those who feel irrelevant, Jesus says, once again, I see you. I see you. We love that our kids want to be seen by us as fathers, as mothers, as aunts, as uncles. Look at this. Look at me. Watch me. 
Sardis, the church we studied a couple weeks ago, they, remember they had the name? Remember they had the reputation? They had the influence? They were well thought of? But Philadelphia, the, the church in Philadelphia, it's barely seen. Is, is there even a church in Philadelphia, people would ask? Are there Christians there? I didn't, I've heard of Sardis. See, Philadelphia is described in verse 8 as those who have little power. I don't think this is a criticism. The Lord Jesus is not criticizing Philadelphia for its smallness of size, for its limit, limits of influence. They weren't in places of power. They're just barely holding on. But Jesus reminds them, I see your faithfulness. You may, you may feel irrelevant. You may feel unimportant. But I see you. I know you. And you are mine. In a similar time period, Peter addresses the church, the first century suffering church, maybe some of these same churches in this region. Maybe Philadelphia was one of those churches. And he writes in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter taps into all these Old Testament pictures and titles of what God had given and, and what God had spoken over Old Testament Israel. And he says, these are yours, church. You are my peculiar people. You are my treasured possession. You belong. You're part of something bigger than yourself. And in the world's eyes, you may be irrelevant. In the world's eyes, you may be insignificant. And you may be weak. But you know what? In God's economy, weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. God loves to shame the so-called strong with those who are weak in the eyes of the world. To those who feel irrelevant, Jesus says, I see you. And then the reversal. Not only does he see them, but we've talked about this in previous churches. Remember the name? The name of Philadelphia? The flip-flop of Caesar's new city back to Philadelphia? Jesus says, I will write on him the name of my God. They will not only be recognized, but they will be given a name. Revelation 22, 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Words of grace and comfort and hope. And before I ask some questions and try to apply this to us today, one more point. To those who are weary Jesus says, hang on. To those who are weary, Jesus says, hang on. It's the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 94. How long shall the wicked exult? The psalmist says, how long are we going to have to hang on? It's getting bad down here, Lord. These Christians in Philadelphia, they're doing their best despite their minority status the church in Philadelphia has showed its commitment to the Lord. Verse 10, it speaks of their patient endurance. The word endurance, that Greek word hypomone, 
Mone means to stay. So you can think about it, hyper-stay. They hyper-stayed. It's kind of a great picture, great modern way to phrase that, endurance. It's the same word that is used of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy set before him, Jesus hyper-stood the cross. He endured the cross for that joy set before him. And Jesus calls to his church and says, in the same way, hyper-stay, hang on, knowing the joy that's coming. Jesus doesn't say that they are going to evade all suffering, but they will be shielded from his wrath, those who look to him. Vindication is coming. You've not been abandoned. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Old Testament is full of Gentiles bowing to Israel. But Jesus' words flip that on its head here. Because Israel bowing, Jews bowing to a church, to people that were Gentiles, to people that include... Jews wouldn't have had that. And yet that's what the Lord promises, vindication. Hang on, I'm coming. One thing about the ancient church of Philadelphia concerning the the earthquakes that were prevalent in that region is that people didn't feel particularly safe in Philadelphia. History tells us that a lot of people, after that earthquake in 17 AD, they didn't move back into the city. It was still their city, but they'd live outside of the city, in the surrounding countryside, away from the the boulders and the bricks that could tumble and fall. And so as Jesus speaks the reversal, what does he say? (laughs) He says, and there's a city coming, an eternal city, a stable city. You don't have to fear running from. You can stay safe in its walls. God's Jerusalem is coming. That's the picture we get in Revelation chapter 21, and we could read that, but we won't take the time. Words of grace and comfort and hope. So how does this all apply to us? Well, let me wrap it up with just a few questions. Do you ever feel, do you ever feel like we as a church, I, I pray that that's been one of the benefits, that's been one of the good things about this series. It's, it's kind of forced us to think and to digest these words and these messages in a more corporate manner. Not to say they don't apply to you as individuals or families or couples. They apply to us first as a church. Do we as a church, do you as a church, as a people, do you ever feel like you're on the outside looking in as we walk this earth? (laughs) I do. I mean, it's come up over and over again in this series. Our society, our cultural and civic life seems to be daily moving further and further away from us. At least in this country, it seems like we're increasingly becoming marginalized. Do you ever feel like we're becoming irrelevant? 
outdated within the world. I do. Even within the church world, I feel that. Maybe because that's my life, is, is the church and the institution of the church. I mean, after all, we're, we're just a hundred folks or so. Why can't we explode and, and build a campus somewhere? Does God even see what we're doing here? Are you at times weary thinking, am I, are we making a difference? Does this even matter? I know I sometimes am tempted to wonder. Brothers and sisters, it's in times like these, times that were nowhere near as bad as our brothers and sisters in ancient Philadelphia. But nevertheless, times like these when we need to remind ourselves of the promises for the church from Jesus himself. The door is open. Your standing is secure. I see you. Even in your weakness, even in your smallness, Ascension, I see what you're doing. And it's good. Keep it up. Hang in there. Because I'm coming soon. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not part of the church. All this talk about the church and boy, you feel like you're on the outside of that group individually. Well, Jesus' words to you this morning are much the same. The door is open. Jesus is that door. Come to the Father through me, he says. Come to me, all who are heavy and weary, laden, and I will give you rest. It's the message of the gospel for you to embrace for the first time or for us to embrace as a church. And remember these gospel promises that are ours. In Jesus, you will be known. In Jesus, you will have a new name. In Jesus, your future is secure. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in ancient Philadelphia. We thank you for their endurance, for their witness, for their love for the gospel, for their steadfastness in the midst of struggle. Father, we pray that you, not only through this word, but through this whole series, that you would gird us up for what lies before us as a church, that you would grow us, that you would deepen our understanding, our acknowledgement, and our living out of your promises, which are for us. Father, we are your people. You are our God. Glorify yourself in and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.